Welcome to the Property Nomad podcast and delighted to be joined by Max Scott today. Uh, after graduating from the University of East Anglia in 2011 with a degree in business management, Max began showing his entrepreneurial talent in small businesses before joining the Star Group towards the end of 2012. Since his early days with the company, Max has honed his skills in managing and growing the property investment group, uh, which now has a cumulative portfolio valued at around £45 million as of 2021. As a passionate entrepreneur, uh, Max has led multiple seminars on the topics of both buying, auction and title splitting across the UK and is a regular columnist for the UK's leading property magazine, Your Property Network, YPN, uh, due to his expertise and reputation in the industry. Uh, With an eye for adding value wherever possible and wanting to solve problems quickly and strategically, Max has seen where bottlenecks occur in day-to-day business and put into place solutions in order to solve them. In doing so, he's been able to create an end-to-end property service that works in-house, but can also be offered to external clients. Striving year on year for further growth and development, Max continues to be at the helm of Star and move forward with his team. Max, that's a hell of an introduction, but thank you for taking the time out today to uh, have a chat. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. Looking forward to getting stuck into this, uh, to be honest, because I think the, the key focus we're going to have is how you've identified different opportunities and then how you've grown or turned those opportunities into, well, effectively new business and, and kept everything in-house. Um, but before we get into that, uh, business management University of East Anglia, have you always had an interest in business or was it just a course you fancy doing beforehand? I have always had an interest in business. It started when I had to raise money to go out to Kenya uh, to try and help build some houses out there. We had to raise 1,500 quid of our own backs to go out there. So a bit like buying a block of flats and splitting it up, I started off buying multi-packs of Mars bars and selling to people for a little bit more. I think I contributed about 150 quid, quid there. And then my first real business was started when I was traveling with my friend he snored like a beast Uh, he's much bigger than me and I'm not the smallest of people we found this pillow that helped people stop snoring we started going into that but it wasn't effective enough and I started growing very quickly on the property just as that started to have potential so that gave me much more of a ear to listen to the boring business management lectures at university and I also just did business management because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and career. So I thought everything really comes back to business. Do something as general as possible because I'm not ready to pick a specific career path yet. And I just fell into property. Yeah, well, if you've got a a pillow that makes people stop snoring and if Telma misses that, because I think she'd appreciate that uh, completely. So, um, no, that that sounds good. So to me, it always sounds like you've had a bit of a knack there for uh, business things and as you say, you've gone to university, fallen into property. Um, quickly fast forwarding then onto title splitting. Just for those people that might not be aware what title splitting is, can you uh, elaborate as to what it is and, and how it can benefit people that are looking at property investing? So title splitting is a concept where you take a block of property, which would typically be a block of flats. Um, but it might also be a shop with flats above. Now, if you have the freehold title, you have the land. And if your whole property is contained one freehold title, there is effectively, I describe like a chest of drawers. It's one box. Uh-huh. Okay, that is the freehold title. You then need to 
while it might have flats within it already, you need to split that title. So title splitting is creating a leasehold title within that freehold title and selling that off. So you can sell it to an external buyer or you can sell it to another company you own. So it's basically the process of taking one block of items and breaking them down into saleable units. A bit like a multi-pack, would often say not to be sold separately. You're going through the process to make it able to be sold separately. Makes perfect sense to me. And in terms of how people can benefit from that, and again, I'm just thinking of people that might have not thought about doing it before, you buy a block of property as such, and then where you're splitting it down, you are then at the same time adding, in some cases, a serious amount of value by doing that and then possibly sell off the freehold at the end and that's where you can really make your cash by title yeah. splitting. you can sell off the leasehold titles you can even sell them to yourself so i've had it where i bought a block of six flats before and i've sold the leasehold titles to another company we have that gets around any stamp duty um any double stamp duty because there's not chargeable when you own 75 percent of uh two companies and transfers going from one to the other so there's an uplift in the property. So the first one I did was in, in Dover. We bought it for 484,000. Straight away, it's valued at 600,000 on an individual basis. So quite a lot of uplift there. You can either take that profit out or you can finance that profit out and reduce your capital investment stake. It's something where sometimes the margins happen quite big and sometimes the margins are quite small. And I think one thing's happened is since when I first did that, I think it was 2015 when I did my first title split. A lot of institutional money is coming to property. They actually want a whole block of flats together. Mm. It's easier for the management. So it's got quite a lot of advantages. So, so there's quite a lot of the time. And also, if you're a seller and you see, you know how to value a one-bed flat and you've got six of them, it's quite easy to say, oh, well, I want this for it. So you don't always get good value, but you can do. And if you look out and work hard enough for those opportunities, there, there can be value of 10 15%. It used to be a bit more, but uplift in the block. And, it, and it's there straight away. Yeah, that, that's probably the key thing there, isn't it? That you can have that straight away rather than allow, as what some people do, allow inflation to run rife for or whatever in order to have that increase in property value. It uh, can be a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, the uplift's there without the work. The, they're often tenanted, so the income's there straight away. So you're paying the mortgage from day one. and Yeah, yeah what's, not to, what's not to like about that? Eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, briefly touching uh, on auctions there before we get into sort of everything you do with with star um personally i've never bought auction before and um, i kind of get the concept of it uh, if people were thinking about buying an auction what key tips key advice would you give to people that are thinking about buying an auction so then if you've got a resources section or can send them out but i have actually got some articles that i did for ypn i don't know if they're easy to find that story once that was quite a few years ago and i did a series of three articles where i gave gave my top tips but going through them some of those now the biggest one is around finance. You can't try and get a mortgage. And even me being honest, I've not done it without knowing I've got the money there. So you can get bridging lenders that specialize in auction. I've not used any of them, so I can't talk about those. I know that their fees are relatively large, and I know that I have been let down by quite a lot of lenders in the past. I don't know if that's just me or my circumstances. I've bought a lot of property. As you just go back to the introduction, it's it's probably about 65 million pounds of portfolio now. So that's probably a buyer from, from uh a little from early in 2021 we bought quite a lot of property last year so but if you don't have the money ready you are putting yourself at enormous risk i remember going to one auction i think it was all sobs and someone had failed to complete and the auctioneer obviously doesn't like that 
So he was basically trying to get the guy to lose as much money as possible. Don't worry, guys, this property is going cheap today. The seller's going to get the same money because someone paid more for this last time. They've not paid it. They're going to be paying for any difference. I don't care what this property goes for. And you're basically responsible. You lose your 10% deposit and you can lose any difference in the shortfall from what the seller would have got to what they did get. So they're allowed to refire sale it effectively. So just make it, it's got to be impossible for you to not have the money to complete. So that's the first thing. The second thing is surveys, legal work. It can be quite expensive. So if you're picking a lot that looks cheap, You've obviously got to have those things done. Now, I've got enough experience that I can take a few. I can also afford a loss if I make a mistake. You don't want to miss something in a legal pack. It can be quite easy to miss something. The same on the survey, on the building quality, the building condition. If you're at the early stage of your career, it's probably better not to put yourself at risk that you didn't see that bit of dry rot, which can cost a fortune, etc. So you might take a build around, you might get a survey done. But that, that's the first thing. You'll be really careful with your due diligence on the legal side and on the survey side. You've got to have your money there. Now, my other tip would be on generalisation of when you're looking through the auction catalogue, what to look for. One of the first deals I did was at auction. You're looking for anomalies or things, problems that you know how to solve. As an investor, that's what you're always looking for. A tenant that's in arrears that you know that you can get out, but you're going to have to suffer it a bit of dry rot but it's not as bad as it looks and therefore you can overcome that problem any any sort of problem that you you might face the biggest one is what is the property in auction if i told you that there's two properties and they're worth 100 grand in each in auction and one's listed at 70 grand and one's listed at 120 grand which one are you interested in oh definitely the seventy thousand. okay so that's what who else is interested in that Everyone's going to be interested in that one. Everyone's interested in that one. So when you've got more people looking at the property, they do their numbers, they work out it's 100 grand. What's the max bids of everyone? All right, some people might say 70, some people might say 80. So you've got lots of people all coming up with their max figures. They know it's worth 100. The bidding goes crazy on that one. A couple of people think, this is really good. Everyone wants this property. The bidding might go over. Or it will get close to 100. So what looks cheap doesn't end up being cheap by the time you've had lots of bids on it. The more interest something has on it, the more likely it is to, for there to be lots of bids. Conversely, no one looks at the one that's 110 or 120 grand. And if you speak to the auctioneer, they'll say, that's expensive. Yeah, but that's what they want. Are they going to get it? Probably not. Do they need to sell? If that person needs to sell, there's no one interested in it. You go around, you offer 75 grand before the auction. They say, no, I'm not going to take that. But then when they're only offered 75 grand, you're the only person interested in, suddenly you're much more likely to get a deal because you're the only person looking at it. So you don't want to be in a race where there's 20 people looking at something. You want to be in the opposite end of that. So my current auction strategy, which is probably easier for me with our teams around us and expertise and everything, is we'll have our eye on something which looks too expensive. And when it fails to sell, we'll go flat out for it within 24 hours. So we're, I think one of the reasons is because we've got quite a big budget, I think about 20 million quid of property last year. If I spend all my time looking at popular lots in an auction, I won't buy enough property because you've only got a one in 10 or whatever chance of getting it. So I try and go for properties where I've got a high chance of getting it. And that's one of my strategies for doing so. Makes sense. So basically what I've summarised from that is 
if everyone's looking at A, you need to be looking at B because you can have more opportunity to get B. You've got to know how to solve the problems and how to make it work for you. Yep. But what looks like a cheap property, everyone else can see that. Fair enough. Uh, makes, uh, makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of, and again, this is a question that just come to mind. Um, can you give, and, and again, just thinking out the box of, of people that might not know, you know, what, what issues need to be solved. Can you give a couple of examples of, of challenges that can be solved that can lead to getting deals? Like you said, you mentioned a tenant in the rears. That's a really good one. But uh, what other ones have you come across where it's been a bit of a challenge, but you've got there in the end? It put me on the spot now. Um, okay, so one recently, well, actually, it wasn't that recent. It's probably about a year ago. Yeah. It was a restaurant in Bexhill. We already had two or three of the flats in, in the block above. So it was the freehold with the restaurant. And there's problems in the blocks. So we thought if we can try that freehold, that's going to be useful. Anyway, it was in, I can't remember what the yield was, but let's say it was 450 grand and it was 45 grand income. The owner, agent, and whoever was managing that block, so three parties had all missed the five grand rent increase. So that was actually had 50 grand in rent. So we knew it was mispriced by 50 grand straight away. It's also not the sort of thing that lots of people are interested in, but for us, you're getting a great return. We're happy to leave money in. Your ROI and your compounding is going to be massive. Uh-huh. Just that's a good deal. So you're spotting something that's been missed by other people. The rent has not been put up for a while. You know you can get a better rent out of it. And equally, you've got to know the things to be careful. If you're bidding on a flat that's in auction, you think it's brilliant, but it's 35 metres, so 29 metres squared, say. You've got a realistic chance that there's a lot of lenders that are going to say, no, thank you, that's too small. Mm-hmm. You might find one, they're probably going to be more expensive. Is there an HMO with a room size that's too small? Be careful for things like that. I'm trying to think of more problems that we've solved now, because, but definitely it was, you know, tenants in arrears. I've had properties where we've had the arrears signed to us, and we can just... Uh, if you own one property, you are telling the risk. That's quite stressful if you've got a mortgage. Whereas in a portfolio, you can say, well, it's not that big a deal in, in the scheme of the portfolio. So you can take short-term hits to know that that market rent is actually low. So it doesn't matter if they're in a risk. If I get back possession of the property, I'll be all right. They've got a three-month rent deposit. It's all you can look at things like that. Um maybe I'll follow up with some other challenges, but I'm, I'm struggling to think about it right. I think you summarise a, a few there. Apologies to put you on the spot. If just a question that comes to mind. Just a question that comes to mind. Okay, so all of that being said and done, so auctions, title splitting, etc. So getting on to the, sort of the main bread and butter as such of, of the episode, looking at, you know, you've identified with that entrepreneurial streak that it's great to have. You've identified a multitude of things that might have not been working so well that you've gone, hey, there's an opportunity to make things a process a lot easier for yourself at start with buying you know millions and millions of pounds worth of property uh bring it in house and of course from that's another revenue stream so how what gets you to the stage where you identify something that you can sort out and then how do you go about sorting it out so are we talking about the businesses that are underneath star property yeah let's focus now on the businesses uh within star property yeah Okay, so where it all started was when I had a refinance from a property that we were on bridging for, and the cost was about 1,200 quid a week, so it's quite big. Uh, I think we had 
close to a million quid of bridging. I can't remember exactly. Anyway, it's about 1,200 quid a week. And the sister said, yeah, we're ready to refinance, but it's going to take me two weeks to complete the report just because I'm busy. So I thought, right, your fee is about a grand on this, and it's going to cost me two and a half grand in interest because you're busy. And they've also made little mistakes, like miss when I've sent them, we're changing the company, we're buying it in. And I thought, I can't deal with this. I don't know what everyone else is like with solicitors, but I have burned through plenty in my time. We've now got external solicitors we use that are really good and internal. But it gave me the idea of why don't I look at setting up with a local solicitor, and I, and I bumped into one town, I thought, is there any way I can pay you an annual fee, have a solicitor that works directly for me, and then if they're short on some work, I'll bring in some external clients, they can do a bit of work for that. And we struck up terms and it worked really well. The idea was strategically, it's important. I'm the priority on the client level, although I'll come on to that in a bit. And I should get good quality of service. Speed is really important. If I've lost the deal, it's normally because of speed. And where I get deals is normally because of speed. So we do try to act really quickly. I don't believe in market value really, especially not at the moment. You've got to be quicker than someone else. Then it's worth a lower offer to them at that point in time. It's, it's kind of factored in. Anyway, off the back of that, we very quickly saved a lot of money on our own fees and then started building a business. And I thought, well, it's easier for us to start a business when we spend so much fees with someone externally. So we've got an insurance company now. And the business model was that I knew someone that was capable of running that company. And I knew that our insurance premium would cover 35% of the expenses in year one. So you've got a really good running head start by having a lot of business. So if it's associated with your business and it's a necessary cost, then you can kind of reduce the impact of that because you just switch from your external provider to your internal provider. So we then purchased a, a, a law firm at the back end of last year in order to put ourselves fully in control. So we've got the law, we've got the insurance. The construction and maintenance is similar. We're focusing on the bigger construction projects now, but that saves me a lot of work internally. I can't go running around checking when the builders have done the job that they said they're going to do or knowing what the cost should be or knowing what the condition is. That's not my skill. My skills in the investment in the teams. So I mean, that's taken quite a lot, of, a lot of pressure off. I now have got quite a lot of experience in mortgages. So we've got kind of a JV arrangement on mortgages. So we can do, do mortgages now as well. Community housing was one where someone said, I think if you structure something like this, you can change the way you're running huh. that type of tenant. There was a service provider we were using. So I looked into it a little bit, thought, well, it's not that expensive to set one up, so I'll give it a go. We got our first tenant in and I thought, oh, this is working quite well. And then that was at the beginning of 2020. We obviously had lockdown, so that grew slowly for the first six months or so. Now we've got over 30 tenants on, under a community interest company. And we've got a fully fledged supported housing operation with three teams in it. So by having an internal saving is probably the biggest thing in your question uh, that we've been able to focus on. And then we've got big teams around us now so we can support each other we can be flexible within that framework so if someone's a bit busy then we've got other people that can support them and the other thing is on a network level we bring in someone from the insurance that's someone else that knows all the people that they know by the time you've got a few different companies and your team's gone from three to 22 you've got quite a big network now so you get a lot more 
a lot more coming to you. And each one of these things, I suppose, forms like a pillar underneath Star Property that strengthens our speed of operations, our, how able we are to execute it. So it started off like, like that, really. That's one of the It'll come to me in a second. So that, that does that answer the question? No, it does. It does, and it's fascinating to just sit and listen to to that. To be honest, um, you know, purely because it's. I love the fact that you know different things have been identified, and you've gone. You know, and again, I'm just going to send it back to that entrepreneurial. You know, that natural entrepreneurial spirit that you have. That you've identified something and gone. Actually, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. Surround yourself with your team or integrate it within within your team, and. You know, to me, it sounds like everything so far. It's a case of, well, so far, so good. Um, We've had challenges along the way, of course, we have. But yeah, um, what, one of the things that I actually I, I know I was going to say is that it's not always the right time to do everything. But if you say this isn't the right time because of this, and you can just add on to that, what would be the right time? What would be the right set of circumstances to launch this or look into that? It's too early in our career. We're not experienced enough, whatever it is. When that opportunity comes back around, if you're ready, you've already thought through when you'll be ready so you can make a quicker decision. It's not daunting anymore mm-hmm. because you planted the seed a year ago. We're not ready yet, but we, can, we might be able to do that in the future. And that particularly applied to different property strategies. I wanted to do a title split. I'm not ready yet. We've got the money and there's one opportunity available. I knew what to do and I went, went for it. So having an outline idea of what's possible even if you're not ready for it, it sort of can, you can start working on it in the background. So then have, in terms of business decisions then, have you just made things, and sorry if I've got the wrong, wrong end of the stick here, so have you just made these decisions to just go ahead and do it? Have you made those decisions impulsively? Or again, have you set the seed at some point, but then an opportunity's come up and then you've gone, actually, sorry, let, let's go for it. It feels like it's been impulsive, but it hasn't really. It's been quite deliberate. It's been quite thought through. The first opportunity in particular, I've spent ages working out. And then after that, once you've got a bit more confidence and a bit more success behind you, you know, well, this is similar to that. I know it kind of becomes a bit quicker and easier to, to make that decision. And then especially when, for us, there's the profit element. It's obviously important. But what we've always had in mind is that what happens if, the continued growth of the group happens, I might have to buy an enormous amount of property in one year. I genuinely believe that in the next two years or so, I have to buy 50 million quid of property in a year. Without all of those teams around you, that's really, really hard work. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of admin apart from anything else. Mm. So strategically, to be able to execute that if we have the opportunity to, you need to get going early. So that brings us on to, yeah, we've always been an entrepreneurial group um the majority owner is very very entrepreneurial he's got a lot of flair we've also got a very interesting background in bookmaking and professional gambling so that is all about risk reward most people don't like losing it scares them but we lose every day and we win every day we just win more than we lose so that means provided we've made looked at the fundamentals properly if we think the upside is big enough we're happy to say, yeah, let's do this. As long as we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, we gave it a good go, a real good go, we'd rather try things than not. And I think that's probably quite different about us. That, to me, is a massive 
mental challenge um, that that can be worked on. As you said, it's easy to not do something because of the fear of it going wrong, for example. And, and, and again, to go from that mindset to, well, let's do it anyway, because we've done some risk analysis and, you know, actually uh, the opportunity to win is going to be greater than, you know, that cost of losing. Uh, how, how do you, if you, if you were to give advice to someone about how to make that mental shift, is there anything in particular that you think you'd say to that person? It would depend a lot on that person's particular circumstances. So let's say my brother was looking at an opportunity. He doesn't have a lot of money behind him. He's not part of a big group. And he's talking about putting all his savings into something where it could fly, but it could equally have 50-50 chance of going wrong. My advice to him would be, I think you think this through, not do it. This is a lot of risk here. And is the upside really worth it for you in your circumstances? For us in ours, it's slightly different in that if we lose 50 grand on something, you know, we take those sorts of bets all day. It doesn't really matter too much. We've we've also got enough experience and success behind us that we've got a good feeling on what will work. You can work it out mathematically, I suppose. It's all about Professional gambling, people think it's impossible. It's not, because I know lots of professional gamblers. We've been part of a group for ages. It's all about accurately knowing the the chance of something happening. So if something's a genuine 50-50 chance and you're flipping a coin, if it pays out, if you stake a pound on and it pays out £1.10, you've got 10% margin. Uh That's okay. If you have lots of little bets of that, over time, you'll make money. And that's an easy way of doing things. If you're talking about having to put your house on the line and do it for all of that. Is it really worth it? What's the risk for you? Can you protect the downside? Can you afford for it to go wrong and mentally and financially still be okay and able to keep going? Can you de-risk it by bringing in another investor, an experienced party? Do you have an idea? Are you able to execute it? You know, they talk about that and well, I've watched Dragon's Den or whatever for a long time, but it's, it's not really about the idea. It's about the person able to execute it you can have a lot of businesses don't have a great idea they've got a standard idea which is done already they're just better at executing it so you've got a lot to think through there so i've kind of touched on a few topics and i hope that gives some food for thought but probably no simple answer to a question like that which is perfectly understandable and again i'm thinking of questions as we go along to be fair as well max um all of that being said, when you then go back to in, integrating different things within Star, and you said that you, you know put some thought into it, and you've just gone and done it. Do you have a particular um, way of integrating something in? So, so what I mean by that, the people that might be listening to this this episode are thinking, well, he's mentioned he's mentioned insurance, he's mentioned construction, he's mentioned buying, he's mentioned lettings, he's mentioned you know ten different businesses you know, multiple teams, uh, do you just crack on, get something done and get all these systems and processes in place and then move on to the next thing? Or is it you, you just go in the flow and see what happens? So my, yeah, it's a really, really good question. I suppose it depends on the type of business. I typically try and have a lot of work and involvement up front. I've got to understand it because it's me that's bringing this to the, to the group. Then once I've understood it, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's Daniel Priestley, key person of influence, and he talks about his model these days. Find the person who does the operations and everything, put a key person of influence in front of it, and you've suddenly got a business. Oh, that might be an oversimplified version. But So my point is I've got to find a key person. I'm not starting businesses without someone who's able to run them. 
someone with a track record who's probably somewhere based in Sussex who's frustrated in their current role and I can say right what are you paid at the moment what's your problems with the current group we're better to work for for these reasons if you've done it there you can come and do it here this is the support I'll offer you those ideas that they wouldn't let you implement I'll let you implement them and I'll help you and what about this idea and what about that idea you're kind of you've got to find the right person none of those businesses I've started where they rely on me yeah. I add to them, but they are absolutely someone that's already, you know, maybe they're senior manager or, or something like that. They might not have their own business, but a lot of people don't want their own business to too stress from worrying. So you're kind of almost, you're giving away a little bit of the business, giving them a good package, you're finding someone that's capable of executing and you're more supporting them to do that. So I think my role is ideas and supporting with another key person for the Makes sense to me. Thank you for explaining that. So it's effectively you're not working on you're not working in your business. You're working on your business by getting the right people, right people in the right place with the right systems, with the right processes. That's yes, yeah. Got. I'm glad we're singing from the same hymn sheet. I love, I love a good. Song I'm trying to get that. to make sure I work on the business more, but there's still quite a lot of admin yeah. that comes with all of that. But that's yeah. the idea. Yes, and of course, I I still have probably. Um, a very large involvement on the investment side of things over the business side of things and uh, and the key people in all of those businesses but um yeah that, that's absolutely well summarized and just the last couple of questions before we, before we wrap up so actually one of them you just mentioned um going back to say when you got multiple aspects of star all going on at the same time what does a typical day look like for you and I appreciate, I'll caveat that. So I appreciate that most days in property, there's never two days that are going to be quite the same. But if you had, if you had a regular day, what would that look like for you with, with all the businesses that you've got under your belt? So I want to slightly change that to a regular couple of weeks. So just because okay. I, a day doesn't follow each day. So one day every other week, I would spend going up to London, meeting the main owner of the business, we talk strategy, we talk how everything's going, we come up with ideas. That's my catch up with him. So that's the way I'm managing the investment inflow into our business where I manage everything else. And he's the person I'm ultimately responsible to. So I do that every other week. I've just transitioned and I've got now someone to help me with a lot of my admin and emails and things like that. So that's taken a bit of pressure off. I try and time block meetings. So tomorrow at 12.30, I've got a weekly meeting with our mortgage broker pre-Christmas he was coming into the office there were now long meetings we had so much going on now it's a Skype and it's 15 minutes so I'm trying to back to back my key meetings and block out the right quarterly review of the figures for all of the trading businesses and the group of the businesses. so try and block things that you need to be doing in, in as much cycles as possible and other than that it's kind of Starting from scratch at the beginning of the week, right? What's important this week? What will help drive the business to forward the most? What's most important to do at the beginning of the day? Try and get the big important things done at the beginning of the day. And I try and do that early, typically before nine o'clock, because that's when it's quiet. I can get on with that. And after that, it's quite hard for it not to. I'm still trying to find the answer to that question, I think, and trying to nail that process. I don't think you can ever nail that completely and get that completely right but to stop the noise coming to you and be a little bit more deliberate in how you do things uh, is definitely something i'm working on at the beginning of each month we have our our buying cash flow what mortgages are coming in what refunds are going out what exchanges and completions have we got and that's something where i've never ever got it right 
you know what I mean? The mortgage is always delayed or it, or it comes early for once. But, you know, trying to predict there's properties that I would offered on in August and said we would exchange in a month. It's no fault of our own. We still have an exchange. So in terms of cash flow, juggling those sorts of things around is uh, impossible. We, we reset and we go through that at least on a monthly basis and a bit more if things are, uh, if there's more going on. So try and cyclicate all the things you've got to do as much as possible. And my final question, thank you for that. Uh, my, my final question would be uh, with, and again, go back to sort of the, uh, the, the multitude of businesses that you have. Uh, don't have to give away any trade secrets, but I'm just being nosy. What's next for Star Property? What's next for yourself? Where, where do you see things happening in the next couple of years? So I think we've now started a lot of these things. They've been, most of them have come in the last two and a half years. In fact, I think all of them have. That's a really short period of time to have. So we've got a lot of seeds, things are looking good, but it's got to be focused on growth. So we're building an end-to-end property solutions company. It's for us as well as external people. We want it so that someone comes in the door for one service and we can offer them everything they need if they're a portfolio landlord. So it's trying to tie that all together, bring each business up. We've got to raise our own profile as well. I talked to you just before we started this podcast. We've got a social media expert coming in on a full-time role. They're trying to raise our profile across the group. So that's going to be where a big focus is of mine, as well as portfolio builder service being one of our new services. We've been testing it over the last 18 months with I'll describe as friends of the company, people with a pot of money that we're just doing it as a bit of a one-off favor to, but sort of working out what our model is and how we're going to do that. And now we're looking for ultra high net worth to build their portfolio, but we're talking about doing everything. So setting up the company, running the accounts, as hands off as they want it to be, Mm. and just really getting their whole portfolio underway because they make money elsewhere and property isn't their area of expertise. We've touched on the idea of starting a fund, a property fund. And I think that is something I want to do. It's just about making sure I don't overcommit, which is a, something I sell close to the to the wind on quite a lot. And I've had a baby born in December, so I'm trying to make sure that I don't overcommit this year and just let myself get better in on that level. So, yeah, building for various other people, a fund, raising our profile and tying everything together. Oh, great stuff. No, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you diving into that. Uh, I think that, that's a great place to, to finish, I'd say. Um, it's been, you know, we spoke about title splitting briefly. You mentioned, you know, some top tips there for auction property uh, as well and you know you've touched upon where star is now and you know what's going to be happening further on down the line uh, just before i ask how people can get in touch with you or, or star property any other final words of wisdom at all max i want to do two things i think um one is a, is a brief story which is um between jeff bezos and warren buffett and Jeff said to, to Warren, your investment strategies are so simple. Why doesn't everyone do them? And do you know what he replied? Because people don't want to get rich slowly. And I think that really stuck with me. I think that's what a lot of property is. It's You've got to have a long-term view on a lot of this. And in the long term, nothing will go wrong. In the short term, we might have rocks and waves. But that that's something that really something I think is very, very relevant to our industry. And I think there's too many people these days trying to look at it as a, as a short-term thing, and it's not the best approach. The other is, is compounding. Um, and Einstein said it's the eighth wonder of the world. 
and the most powerful mathematical force in, in the universe. He who understands it earns it, and he who doesn't pays it. So now I've got a question for you. If you took a penny and doubled it every day, 31 days, yep. how much money do you think you would have? Well, do you know what? One think, penny, two penny, four penny. I think I've heard, I think I've heard this before. Um, I've got a feeling in 31 days, I have a feeling you end up with seven figures, if I'm not mistaken. I'll say, I don't know, uh, let's say 1.2 million pounds. That's pretty good. Uh, it's 10.7. But if you think of actually that's really wow. close in terms of the number of days, that might be day 27 because then you're going 1.2, 2.4, 4.8. Yeah. yeah. 9.6 and then 18, 19 million. So, but it's an incredible example of how compound interest, return on investment, how it's so important not to have your money in the bank, gaining no return whatsoever, especially now with inflation rising, you know, you're losing money basically by not getting a return. So if you're leveraged at 75% loan to value and the market goes up 2%, that's 2% against your 25% deposit. That's an 8% return, even if you're making no cash flow. So we only ever invest with cash flow. That's a bonus. And I think that's why our portfolio bill is very well positioned for, for high net worth who, who can't place their money uh, and want to build a long-term long -term portfolio. So I just think it's an amazing example of um, why this is so important to get return on your money in compound investing. And just for clarity, do you want to repeat that number again, nice and loudly, so people, if you double a penny, 31 days, just repeat that final number again. 10.7 million. Yeah, crazy stuff, isn't it? Uh, it's, yeah, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. I'm gonna make, I've made a note of that number on my piece of paper. Um, I thought a million was okay, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit yeah. far out there. <laughs> uh, Max, brilliant. Um, finally, if people want to get hold of yourself, get hold of Star Property, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, love for you to get in touch. Um, follow us on social, social media, Star Property UK. I think that's our handle for Instagram and for LinkedIn. Uh, we're based in Hove, so if anyone wants to come and say hi, they're just off the old shore road, do, do come and say hi. If you've got any investments that you think we might be interested in, deals at star-property.co.uk. And if you're interested in any of our services, insurance, star law, construction, then hello at star-property.co.uk. Wonderful stuff. Uh, as usual, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Uh, Max, that was uh, incredible. Loads of things to take away from that. So, uh, yeah, massive thank you for your time. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.